Welcome into another edition of the Golden Homers Podcast. Today, we welcome on Ryan Roberts, Director of Recruiting at Irish Breakdown and NFL Draft Analyst at RiseAndDraft.com. Most of you probably are more familiar with his work at Irish Breakdown if you listen to our show regularly as the main recruiting guy over there. But Ryan also does great work when it comes to the NFL Draft. We wanted to bring him on the show today like we did last year to discuss the Notre Dame Draft prospects in this year's draft. The Combine just wrapped up this week and the Senior Bowl and other showcases were last month now all there is is the notre dame pro day and official workouts and meetings with teams for these prospects and ryan is here to help break it all down unfortunately due to some scheduling conflicts mason is unable to join the show today but we have something worked up for you guys later this week where mason will be back on the mic fun episode ahead for you guys and excited to talk to notre dame draft draft prospects let's get after it Low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and finding McKinley goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers Podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach. What's going on, Notre Dame fans and Golden Homer fans? Like I said in our intro, we have Ryan Roberts here today, Director of Recruiting at Irish Breakdown and an NFL Draft Analyst with RyzenDraft.com. I, I mentioned a lot of you guys probably know him, at least from our podcast, when it comes to his work with, with uh, Irish Breakdown more so than anything. But we had you on last year to talk about the 2022 draft. We have you on now this year to talk about the 2023 draft. And uh, Ryan, how are you doing today, man? It's good, Nathan. It's good, man. I know it's uh, it's been a little tough for us to connect a little bit, but this, uh, this time of year is really crazy, man. But I'm yeah. excited to be on. And th- thank you again for having me on again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because of that, obviously, unfortunately, we're unable to have Mason on. But uh, he was uh, he was okay with me kind of running the show today. And me and him will probably do something uh, later this week or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, like I said, wanted to talk some NFL draft prospects. Um, I think this year specifically, it's sort of interesting because Notre Dame obviously has some top end talent in Michael Mayer. I think most of us would agree with that. On, um, and then even Isaiah Foskey, I guess, you know, kind of like a late first rounder, probably more of a second round uh, prospect, um, but a really good prospect in his own right. And then at, at the combine, you also had Jarrett Patterson, Brandon Joseph, and then Notre Dame has some other guys that we'll get into as well. But I guess, strictly speaking, just from an NFL combine standpoint, now that that's wrapped up, senior bowl stuff's wrapped up, all that kind of stuff. What do you make, just kind of generically speaking, of this Notre Dame class? And then we'll get into some other, you know, just uh, we'll get into like kind of like the guys individually. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's 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 interesting to kind of follow how the cycle's gone. I mean, before the season began, I mean, we were kind of talking about how this could be one of the best Notre Dame draft classes that we've seen in several years. And I, I feel like the top end guys held their end of the bargain. It was just more the, some of the depth didn't quite, you know, live up to expectation a little bit, you know, like the Jason Adam Malolas of the world, for instance, right? Like they didn't quite have the season. Cam Hart goes back to school, obviously dealing with the shoulder injury down the stretch of the season. So I, I think that we envisioned that it would be a little bit more of a deeper class for Notre Dame, but regardless, I mean, you still have two guys, at the top of the class that are potential first round picks at the end of the day. So it's still a really good class for Notre Dame, but I think that you did at one time think that it could be a little stronger as far as like the depth of the class. Are you, are you a little surprised that guys like Jason Adam Alola and I mean, even a guy like Tariq Bracey who had back-to-back really solid years at Notre Dame, I think can be a pretty good slot corner in the NFL. If I'm being honest, um, I was a little surprised that at least one of those guys didn't get invited get an invite to the combine or, or I don't know if they were technically invited to the senior bowl or not. And they chose not to go. I'm not hundred percent um, on that, but even a guy like Justin Adamola, I'm not convinced he gets drafted, but obviously a productive player at, in the college ranks. Um, maybe not a surprise that a guy like Josh Lug um, just could, you know, sort of an up and down career at Notre Dame, but were you surprised at any of those guys not maybe getting a little bit more love as the draft process has gone on? Yeah, I mean, Jason Adam Malola is a guy that's just like, he's a very frustrating player to me because I think when you look at him and you go, you know, he's 6'3 plus, 284 pounds, I think is what he weighed in at the NFLPA Bowl, 33 plus inch arms. He has all the talents. He really does. I mean, he's a gifted athlete. He moves well. He's got some length to him. Like, there's a lot of things to really like about Jason. It's just, 
he didn't put it together this year. I mean, he really did. You know, he showed flashes in 2021 where you were like, yeah, man, that's a lot of great stuff to work off of. And you're just like 2022, you just need to finish more plays, you know, like he made a lot of plays in 2021, but it's like, you know, he's a more gifted athlete than just, he should have more than eight and a half tackles for loss and three sacks. Like he should just be a more impactful football player. And this year, obviously dealing with injury, dealing with inconsistency. Like he just didn't have the year that he, I thought that he could have had. But, I mean, regardless, he's still got an NFL PA Bowl invite out in Pasadena, which, you know, is, you know, the kind of the hierarchy is Senior Bowl, East-West Shrine, and then the NFL PA Bowl. So that's the, the third in, in line type of thing. So he's liked by NFL evaluators. I think Jason has a chance to get drafted when all is said and done because I think he's going to go to the pro day and I think he's going to blow things up a little bit. I think he's going to test really well. He was my biggest surprise about, you know, not getting invited to the combine. I thought maybe he could sneak out, you know, a – Invite. I mean, there was a couple of players that got invites that I thought he was just better than, to be completely honest, right? So he was the big surprise. Tariq Bracey didn't get any all-star game invite, so, like, that wasn't a super surprise to me. Joshua Lug went to the Hula Bowl. You know, it's, it's kind of like a low-tier type of all-star game, so I wasn't surprised by any of those guys, really, but I was a little surprised. I, I thought Jason would sneak out a, a late combine invite. I did. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Jason was is that he was also, you know, he was a high-level recruit coming out of high school. I mean, was I know I think on 24-7 sports specifically, he was a top 100 player, maybe even closer to top 50. And, yeah. you know, obviously did have some production. I mean, this year, like you said, was a little was a little disappointing, but last year was very productive and was, you know, sort of a known quantity, quantity in the college ranks. And then Bracey sort of, not came out of nowhere, but over the last couple of years, certainly picked it up. And um, so, yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I was, I think I agree with you there. I was a little bit more surprised that Jason uh, did not get that invite. And I'm hoping that, you know, both of those guys and maybe in a few other guys can sort of find the late, the late, uh, you know, day three or something like that and find and find and stick with some teams. So let's get into some individual guys and I'll start at the top, Michael Mayer. I know me and you probably share the sentiment that a lot of teams are not necessarily teams yet. Cause we can't really say teams are over overthinking, but, uh, NFL draft analysts, fans of teams, different things like that. They are overthinking Michael Mayer. What did you see from him, obviously, throughout his Notre Dame career and, you know, at the combine and different things like that to back up? I, like I said, I know I know how you kind of feel about him, but uh, just kind of tell our listeners uh, about Michael Mayer. I mean, he, he's one of he's arguably the best all around tight end to come out in several years. You know, I mean, Kyle Pitts uh, coming out of Florida a couple years ago, he's a dynamic pass game weapon right like he's that guy that has high upside as a pass receiver but he's not going to do much in the run game he's just got a thin lower half and he's not incredibly powerful Michael Mayer can be an attached player he can be a detached player he can move all over the place which is what makes him special in my opinion you know he's got that physical profile I think he's more athletic than a lot of people give him credit for which is why I think he is extremely undervalued from the media side of things I mean, people fall in love with, you know, at the combine with the Darnell Washingtons of the world, for instance, right? But it's just like Darnell, yes, I, I get it. He played with Brock Bowers. That's a conversation piece, you know, context of situation. He had in his full Georgia career what would have been a disappointing season for Michael Mayer as far as production. He had over 700 yards, three touchdowns. Michael Mayer had over 800 yards and seven touchdowns each of the last two years, you know, individually. So – I think that people fall into this trap a lot as far as like, you know, we're going to overvalue the traits and not as carry as much about the production and the on field. Cause on the field, there's just not a lot to not like about Michael Mayer, man. Like he goes to the combine runs four, seven flat. His jumps were good. I think when he goes to the to the pro day, I think he's going to run the short shuttle on the three cone. I think all that stuff's going to be good. And you're just going to kind of check a lot of boxes, but the NFL falls to this trap all the time. Nathan, they really do, man. They go. I, I keep going back to 2018 NFL draft. They first tight end off the board that year was Mike Gesicki out of Penn State. Number two tight end that year was Dallas Goddard, and number three was Mark Andrews. Why did Mike Gesicki go before those two guys? Because he's more athletic. He blew up the combine, blah, 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 all that stuff, right? But at the end of the day, when you look, compare numbers that Michael Mayer has as a tester to the Dallas Goddards of the world, to the Mark Andrews of the world, who have developed into two of the best tight ends in the NFL, that's what he aligns with. You know, when you look at his profile compared to a Jason Witten back in the day, who, you know, isn't the sexiest player of all time, but caught over 1,200 passes and made 11 Pro Bowls, like his testing is very similar to what it was to Jason Witten. So, no, he's not a 4-5 athlete as a, as a you know, as a straight line athlete, I thought he could break into the four sixes. I thought that was a possibility for him, 
but he runs four seven flat. For me, the combine for Michael Mayer was you took care of business, man. Like you did everything you need to do from a testing perspective. There was reports all week, and I can verify this, you know, just from my firsthand experience is that Michael Mayer killed all the meetings all week because he's incredibly well-spoken, incredibly confident, smart football player. He just checks a lot of boxes, man. At the end of the day, I still think he's going to be the first tight end drafted. But unfortunately, the NFL does make this mistake all the time to kind of under overvalue that athleticism you know, upside and not care as much about the on-field production and just kind of the things that you know. So could Michael Mayer be the second tight end off the board? It's possible. I still think he goes first because I think at the end of the day, the NFL is a little smarter than the media side of things. And I don't think that they go too gaga over, you know, just testing numbers sometimes. So I think Michael Mayer took care of this, this man. Well, and when you look at his, and I don't know how in you are with like relative athletic, athletic scores and stuff like that, but I do think it matters a little bit and stuff like that. And I remember I had a friend that was messaging me right before the combine. And he was like, I'm hearing that Michael Mayer is going to run like a four, eight or four, nine. And I'm like, first of all, I disagree. <laughs> and it obviously showed that, but let's just say that was a thought process in some people's minds, NFL evaluators minds. And then he goes out and runs a four, seven. You'd think that that would be a pleasant surprise then, because if you felt that the athletic scores weren't going to be there running a four, seven is pretty solid. And I know, Michael Mayer and like a guy like Cole Komet, they're not all that similar from a, a build and play style standpoint. Yeah. Cole Komet also ran a four seven. He's doing, he was pretty productive this year for the bears. Um, you know, has been actually pretty productive over his first three seasons with the bears. I know like, I was, it? I think last year he didn't have any touchdowns or something like that, but he's, he's catching passes. He's probably one of their better weapons. And as a bears fan, I hope they extend them and different things like that. And to me, Michael Mayer was, light years better than Cole Komet was at Notre Dame. And that's not a slight because Cole Komet was a good player. So well, um, I, I, I think, I mean, Nathan, for me too, it's like, I think that the intangible stuff matters, obviously, right? The physicality, the competitiveness he plays with, but it does say a lot about a player that he left a school that historically puts out tight ends as well as anybody, right? Like I'm not just talking about, you know, recently with the Cole Komets and the Tommy Trembles and, you know, Tyler Reifers. I'm not even talking about just like that short span. I'm talking about working back to Dave Casper, right? And and like Irv Smith Sr. And like those types of cats, man, where it's just like those guys are going first round for a very – Mark Bavaro. Like those guys are going and being very successful in the NFL. And Michael Mayer in three years has a great argument to being the greatest tight end to ever play at the University of Notre Dame. He holds all the records, and he was the guy – you knew who he was. He was the best player on this football team for multiple years. You know who Michael Mayer is, and that stuff all matters, man. The competitiveness is something that we can't quantify, right? Like, I can't tell you to do a test and show me how much competitive you have. Like, you can't run a 40 and show me how competitive you are. But I can watch the film and know how competitive you are. And Michael Mayer has just been that guy since he was a Covington Catholic, where it's just like, that guy – plays with an extreme amount of competitiveness and physicality. And that stuff translates, man. I have no doubt in my mind that Michael Mayer is going to be a great football player in the NFL level because he has the drive to be that dude, man. Cause he's just always been that cat. Like, and he has a chip on his shoulder. If, if you don't think that Michael Mayer, who has been a player that has been an all American top hundred consensus recruit coming out of high school, all that type of stuff. You don't, if you don't think it bothers him right now that so many people are calling him slow and stupid stuff like that, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. So I think Michael Mayer is going to be a star, man. I just think we're overthinking this one way too much to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like what I was going to get at, get at with the relative athletic scores, he actually had a, a solid one. Like you said, you mentioned his jumps his you know, and different things like that. And, um, I think his 10 yard split was considered actually pretty solid um, yep. overall. I think his, I think his actual final relative athletic score was an 8.08, .08, which ended up being like in the top 150 since 1987. From when look at an athletic, he's in the green, man. He's in the green. Like yeah. that's all you want. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then going to a point you mentioned. I mean, not only is he the best tight end in the last couple of years, like you mentioned with Tommy Tremble, Eifert, all those guys, but. What, what, what is, I forget the exact date. And I know Driscoll knows this because that's like his realm of what he loves to do. But I think it's like since like 1998, every single starting tight end at Notre Dame has been drafted. And he's probably, and like you said, he's not even probably, he is the best guy since at least that time frame. And so 
and you've had guys like Eifert go in the first round. You've had Rudolph, you've had Fasano, you've had Cole Komet, all those guys go like early second round, mid second round. So the fact that he's the best, probably clearly the best, I, I'm with you on that. I think he should not only be a first round pick, but the number one tight end in the draft and also probably a pretty early draft pick. Like if I was the Packers, even though I hate it, sitting there at 15, that would probably be my guy that I'm going after. I know a lot of people have been kind of putting him on the Bengals. So that's later first round. Um, yeah. and I'm, you know, there's obviously some other teams that he'd be a good fit for. Maybe we can get into that a little bit later, but um, want to move on to Isaiah Foskey. He's probably the clear cut number two guy for the Notre Dame draft class here. Um, came in with solid measurables. Actually, I think it was the senior bowl. He technically was under six, five, but the combine had him a little bit over six, five, who knows who's correct there. Um, but obviously running, a, running a good time. He was in green and a lot of his numbers as well. Um, first of all, I guess kind of the same thing. Talk about his career at Notre Dame, what you think his strengths are, and then where maybe ultimately where you think he kind of ends up. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, it was really fascinating to look at the differences between the senior bowl measurements and the combine measurements. I mean, he was six, four and seven eighths at, for as far as height at the senior bowl, he was six, five and an eighth at, at the combine. His wingspan grew another eighth of an inch as well. So he was up to 34 inch wingspan. It's just, it's still funny growing. how this stuff happens. Yeah, man, he's seriously still growing. He added another two pounds too. So he was up to 264 pounds. Look, man, I don't think anybody will ever have any question marks about Isaiah Foskey's talents, right? Like he is a long, explosive, athletic cat. And despite, you know, just, you know, not playing defense really at all when he was a freshman, you know, to, to you know, get that red shirt and everything and not having any sacks, he still managed in a four-year career to be the Notre Dame's all-time leading sacker with 26 and a half sacks and 22 over the last two years. Like incredibly productive. What I love about Isaiah is that he has some of the things that I call unteachables. Like you can't teach a guy to be six, five and an eighth. You can't teach a guy to have 34 inch arms. You can't teach a guy to be as explosive as he is. Like you have it or you don't have it. And he has it. And those things are what the NFL usually clamors for, man. At defensive end, at the edge position, people look past production all the time from the college perspective. And they look at what the traits are, right? Like the, the Neil Hunter had four and a half sacks in his LSU career. Uh, TJ Watt had 11 and a half sacks in his career at Wisconsin, but those guys all had incredible traits where you say with proper coaching, with, the, with getting on the teachable side of things, that guy can be a stud. Like that, that athleticism is stuff that you want at that position, especially like I think testing is very overrated for some positions, but for edge for defensive ends, I don't think, I don't think testing is overrated. I think that you need to be an incredible athlete to be an a impactful, consistent player as a pass rusher at the next level. And Isaiah showed that. He showed that. And he showed in his college career why he was able to get 26 and a half sacks is because he's an extremely gifted athlete. And he has all the length measurables that you want as well. I mean, the kid is long, explosive, like everything's there. He is a little bit of a maddening player to me, though, personally, because – He's not the bendiest guy of all the time of all time. You know, he's a little stiff. It doesn't really matter because it's not how he plays. He's more of a speed to power converter. But if you're going to be a guy that isn't a true outside track winner with great finesse and, and kind of hit flexion, you need to be a guy that does win with hand usage, you know, get some moves in the arsenal, inside counters, secondary rush moves. Isaiah doesn't really have that right now. You know, at Notre Dame, he was learning off of God-given ability. You know, he's longer and he's ex more explosive than everybody he goes against almost on a week-to-week -week basis. So that's how he was able to be so productive in college. The big thing for him, and, and I think why NFL teams are a little bit all over the place with him, because I know that there's some teams that like him in the late first-round conversation. There's other teams, though, that are more like, eh, he's more like a late second-round, early third-round type player, you know, somewhere in that – top 75 type of conversation. And the reason that there's so much variance on him is because you saw when he went against the best tackles on his schedule, the Dewan Joneses, the Paris Johnsons, the Matthew Bergerons, it wasn't quite as productive and easy for him because he doesn't have those secondary moves right now. He needs more of a pass rush plan. If he gets into the right situation though, where you're with a great defensive coordinator and a great defensive line coach that can get that out of you, then we're talking about him becoming an incredibly impactful football player because all the tools are there. For me, it's about Isaiah 
kind of having some self-reflection and being like, hey, man, I can't just burrow down somebody's face every single play and just run and push the pocket consistently like that. I can do it at times because I'm still explosive and powerful, but I need an inside counter. I need a club rip. I need secondary rush moves. If I get those things, I think Isaiah Foskey has a chance to be a star at the next level. But he has a nice baseline regardless, like because he's a big guy, strong. He's going to play the run well. He has all that stuff. But I think that there is a little bit of variance on Isaiah Foskey just because the where he is and what he could be are still a little bit far away for a guy that had 26 and a half sacks during his college career. It's scary to think that a young man that just made All-American this year could be a lot better than he is. But Isaiah could be that guy. He could be a much better and more impactful football player. Regardless, I still think he goes top 50 because of the traits that he has. But I really think it's going to be very dependent on how good he is in the NFL if, with what defensive line coach he ends up with. If he is a guy that pushes him and he takes the teaching, I think he could be a star. I really do at the next level. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, the the athleticism, the height, all that all that stuff sort of translates up. One of the things I was going to bring up and actually, and you kind of touched on two of them in a sense, like obviously he didn't really play a lot as a freshman. He kind of really turned it on the last couple of years. He's a role player as a sophomore, but even as a recruit, he was recruited as a top notch tight end as well as being a defensive end. So a lot of schools actually liked him in that spot. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't say he's relatively new to the position in general, but at the, but he was focused on two different spots and at the high school level specifically. Um, and, and like I said, it was a high level prospect when it came to, to, to both spots. And then the other thing, and this kind of goes along with mayor too. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that the, the fact that in mayor's case, there were a lot of really talented tight ends from an athleticism standpoint at the combine. And just in this year's draft, it's considered a very top notch class at tight end. And then in Foskey's case, like, yeah, you have the Will Andersons of the world. And obviously he's a, he's a very dynamic prospect, but then at the combine, you had a bunch of guys go off and maybe not, maybe they're not all the same type of players. I know the kid from Northwestern, a lot of people see kind of him, see him more of as an inside guy, even though he had some explosive traits when at the combine, uh, but the kid from Georgia, uh, Nolan Smith, I believe is, is that his name? Um, yes. obviously, I mean, way different player. He's, you know, he's two inches shorter, you know, 30 pounds less, essentially, whatever it is. Um, but he, he goes out and runs a four, four or whatever it was. So do you think some of these like just high level athletic guys being in the same classes as Foskey and Mayer sort of pushed them down the board a little bit where if maybe they were in a different class, like especially in Mayor's case, I think, like where sometimes you just have like no tight end depth in a class or just not a lot of really good tight ends in a class. Do you think that hurts both of these guys a little bit just because there's a lot of other guys in the class that are maybe equally as athletic? Yeah, I think it is a little bit unfortunate for both of the guys because if you ask me what are the two of the deeper classes in the 2023 NFL draft, my answer would be edge and tight ends. <laughs> like Those are the two spots that have a lot of depth. I think it hurts Mayer a little bit more than Foskey, though, in that sense, because I think that, like, Mayer was a good athlete. Like, he tested like a good athlete, but he's not an elite athlete, right? Like, right. He's, he's not as far as, like, being a straight line type of kid. So some people, I think, are going to overlook that, overlook him a little bit and just be like, oh, Darnell Washington, you know, 264 pounds, running 465, and, you know, and they're having a crazy short shuttle. Like, you know, some teams are going to talk themselves into that one. I think what Foskey has going for him is that he – did test really well, you know, like he ran four, five, eight at 264 pounds. Like that's pretty wild, man. Some four, right. six, that size is insane. I, I think it's really going to come down to for Foskey though. It's going to go down to what scheme a team plays majority of the time, right? If they're a team that is running four down or compare or comparative to like a three down system, that's the weird part about Foskey because Foskey has a body that you would say that's a four, three defensive end, you know, like that's what he looks like, but he's much more comfortable from a stand-up position, right? Which is kind said of that weird. Too, right? Yeah. He literally did say that. Yeah. And, and uh, so he's a little bit of a weird tweener, but like tweener is a, a negative term, right? Like a tweener is a guy that doesn't fit one spot. Well, Foskey, I think fits spots. Well, it's just like, I don't know if his, uh, I don't know if his, mindset of how he fits is going to match what NFL teams see him at is, is if that makes sense right it's like he can do some stuff in like a three four base where he's a stand-up rusher sure but like his his game is much better in a four three alignment in my opinion a guy that can attack and really be kind of that quarterback hunter of a of a of a to a degree right so but regardless of how he sees himself teams are going to have their buckets 
this is the kid that is 260 plus pounds that is going to be a guy that could, we can put their hand in the dirt the lucas van Nesses of the world you know the isaiah foskies of the world like the bigger body types and there's going to be some teams that look at nolan smith and be like okay nolan's a great stand-up rusher but like i'm not gonna put his hand in the dirt a ton he's 238 pounds right so he, fortunately for Foskey's, he's not competing as much against like Nolan Smith. Like they're not going to fit into the same spot into the sp- same defense. If that makes sense, he's going to be kind of fighting against guys that have more similar body types, which is good for him. But I do think that both the guys do have a little bit of battle against depth, you know, it's because I, again, man, like I think mayor is going to be the first tenant off the board. I really do at the end of the day, but like some team might overthink that they might overthink it. Foskey, I mean, Foskey's fighting to be, you know, edge four off the board, edge five off the board. He's he's not fighting to be edge one off the board. So I don't think the depth is going to hurt him, though, because I think that you're going to get those tiers at the edge position. And you're going to look at Isaiah Foskey and be like, guys, like 264 pounds, and he ran a four, five, eight, and he had 26 and a half sacks in his career. Like, he's productive, he's athletic, he has upside. Like, that, there's not much to think about in that regard. Yeah, and then the fact that he plays a premium position certainly helps yes. his his stock a little bit too. So um, obviously those are the two big names. So I'll spend the most time on those guys, I feel like, but wanted to get into a few other guys that were at the combine. Brandon Joseph obviously transferred to Notre Dame from Northwestern, had a lot of hype around him. Didn't necessarily have the season that people expected for multiple reasons. He was hurt a little bit. Certainly wasn't the athlete that I think maybe some Notre Dame's felt he, some Notre Dame fans felt he was coming from Northwestern. Um, but at the same time, he also was not a high level recruit. Um, ended up going to Northwestern over, you know, obviously if he was a better, if he was a better recruit, he probably would have landed somewhere else. And I think he, he would be the first one to admit that. And, you know, and then Jared Patterson and Jared Patterson to me, I'll let you talk about Brandon Joseph first, but with Patterson, I'm very intrigued because obviously a lot like Foskey and Mayer had a lot of production at Notre Dame, played a lot at Notre Dame, was an all American at Notre Dame, played multiple spots. Well, and it seems like he is not really considered in that realm of being a day one or day two guy. It's, he's more of like a late day two, day three. Maybe that has some injury stuff involved because he he dealt with some of that kind of stuff throughout his career. But talk about Brandon Joseph. But then if you want to transition um, into into Patterson as well, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I, look, man, I, I, I've wanted to believe in Joseph for the longest time because the 2020 film was fantastic, man. Like he was so good at that COVID year. I mean, six interceptions, great ability to just understand what's happening in front of him. You know, he has really good diagnostic skills. He's got great ball skills, too. I mean, he had 10 interceptions in his career. Like that stuff doesn't happen by accident. Like guys right. need that type of skill, especially playing in the Big Ten and then playing with Notre Dame. Like you're playing against some good competition, man. I think a lot of people remember probably that one-handed snag he had against Ohio State when in 2020 when he was a redshirt freshman. It just hasn't been good the last two years, though. Like 2021 was okay, not as good as 2020, though. And then this year with Notre Dame, I mean, he had a good game against Ohio State. He had a good game against Syracuse. Everything else was just kind of mad, man. Like you're just like that. That was it. Wasn't great. And then. I got the chance to talk to him at the combine and I'm like, I really want to believe in this young man because he's so smart, man. Like literally people are asking him like, in, like very intensive questions about like scheme and where you see yourself and playing too high or single high and different coverage variations. And he answered it like a pro. I mean, he knows the game. He really does. I just, when he go, but at the end of the day, man, like you didn't have good production this past year think he tapped out a little bit if I'm being completely honest like I think he tapped out a little bit and then you go to the combine you don't test well I mean what I mean what am I hanging my hat on if I'm an evaluator you know like if if you didn't test well but you had great film it's like cool okay I can hang my hat on something if you don't have either it's like man I don't know what to do with with Brandon Joseph if I'm an NFL evaluator right I thought at one point I was bullish on him after 2020. I was like, man, that kid could be a top 50 pick when it, when it's all said and done. Like he could be that type of dude coming into the year. I'm like, you know, he's more third to fourth round range as far as what his evaluation looks like right now. Right now. I don't know if he gets drafted, Nathan. I just don't know if he gets drafted, man. If he does, he's going to be a late day three type of player because you know, there is some good film mixed in there, but there's been too many consistencies. He's not an elite athlete. And when you kind of put all those things together, man, it's like, I just don't know how to bet on him. And plus, the biggest, the, one of the biggest inconsistencies in Brandon Joseph's game and has been for a couple of years is that he's not a great tackler. He's not a great tackler. So am I going to draft you in the sixth or seventh round and, 
you because in that realm to make a football team, you have to be a special team standout. You have to be. Is he is he a guy that you want running down on kickoffs and consistently making plays as a tackler? I don't know if that's the case at all. So I, I think that he might get a call late late day three, but ultimately, man, I think he might go undrafted, which is wild to think where we were and that where we kind of transitioned here. But it's just just don't see it right now, man. And uh, I mean, I think like when you're talking about Jared Patterson as well, like he's made a little bit of a similar ish transition, right? It's because it's like. He was a kid that after retro freshman year, like people were so excited about in draft spheres. They're like, man, that guy, that kid could be the next guy at Notre Dame. That could be a top 50 pick. And it's just, he never improved, you know, like he wasn't bad during his career. He was a good football player for Notre Dame, but it was just like, you expect a good football player as retro freshman to be a very good football player, then a great player, then maybe an elite player by the time he leaves. And I mean, a lot of that is, you know, not great offensive line coaching through some parts of his career. It's also the injury side of things. You know, he's had a lot of durability concerns during his career, including before this season that obviously cost him to miss the Ohio State game. But I, I think that, unfortunately, what I thought of Jared Patterson once in the past is not the same anymore. You know, I, I think that he is not quite the athlete that he once was when he was a younger player. I think that the durability stuff has kind of zapped him of some athleticism. So he's become now, I think, a little bit more of a – he's a dependable football player. You know, like he can play center. He started a year at guard. He can probably back up all three positions inside. But he just might not have the upside that people might once thought he did. So I think that he's probably going to end up being mid-day three type of kid. You know, like maybe fourth round, but like more fifth, sixth rounds. Someone's going to draft him ultimately because he started four years at Notre Dame on the offensive line. <laughs> and that stuff means something. No matter if people sure. want to shake their head at that or not, like that means something, man. And he played multiple positions, which always helps. He was a senior bowler. He got invited to the combine. If you read the tea leaves, he's going to get drafted. It's just his stock has definitely taken a big plummet from what it once was. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I think that all makes sense. I mean, that that helps answer my questions about Patterson because, I mean, I admittedly am not like an offensive line guru. Obviously, Notre Dame produces a lot of a lot of guys, but I'm the type of guy that thought Alex Bars would get drafted even even without his injury, um, or even even with, with his injury, I should say. And you know, even guys like I mean, I know Mustafer isn't a great player in the NFL, but he's stuck around. Um, which I think yep. says something a little bit. And then, you know, even a guy like Kramer who had maybe a disappointing Notre Dame career. I thought those guys would be guys that, you know, towards the end of the draft or even in Barr's case, I thought he was kind of more of a mid, a mid round pick. And so I'll be honest, I was, I was a little worried about Patterson. I was like, man, this guy's just kind of getting pushed down draft boards a little bit. I think he's a good player. Like you said, I think he's just a dependable guy. Bare minimum yeah. can be a rotational player, you know, like that swing man guy that if, you know, someone gets hurt, he can play all three spots. Like you said, um, you know, and then maybe if he can stay healthy and and get a guy that can develop him off, you know, from an offensive line coaching standpoint, kind of like what you mentioned with Foskey um, on the defensive line, you know, gets to the right team. Maybe he can end up being a, you know, five, six year NFL starter and be fa and fairly good. So um, I, I, I think I'm with you on Joseph, though. I mean, I was I was actually pleasantly surprised that he ran a four, six, two, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. Um, so like I, I like I when that happened I, in my head, I'm like, okay, okay. Like, let's see what happens. But like his, but man, his, his jumps were so bad. <laughs> his were. short area stuff was not good either. It's just like, man, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with this right. guy right now, man. Like, I don't know what to do with him. Yeah. And, and it's not like he has Kyle Hamilton size. And, and, and that was the one that, that was the, I mean, I know we talked about this last year, but the, the Hamilton stuff with like him running a four, seven or whatever it was at the combine was just ludicrous. Cause you looked at his jumps and different things like that. And they were elite. Obviously yes. he had the size. Um, I was talking to Greg Flamong the other day and, you know, I remember when people said he couldn't be a, um, an NFL slot, like he could not play the slot. And then that's literally where he played almost his entire rookie season and was like the highest graded safety in the NFL or whatever it was. So I yes. think over people thought Kyle Hamilton and I hope they don't make the same mistake with Michael Mayer and, and other guys, but um, wanted to get into a few of the other, you touched on Jason Adamalola. You kind of talked about him where you think I kind of want to put you on the spot a little bit here when it comes yeah. to some of these other guys, where, where do you think they go? Do you think some of them get drafted? I mean, I think that's pretty safe to say that Notre Dame has at least three guys drafted. Um, you know, we mentioned jo Joseph is maybe, you know, a UDFA, 
um, but but possibly a day three guy. But do you think a guy like Bracey gets drafted? Jason Adamolo, Justin Adamolo, Josh Lug, um, anybody else? I mean, I, know, I don't think Blake Groupie is getting drafted, but if there's anybody else that's on your mind, off the top of my head, I, I think that's pretty much those are the guys. Yeah. Uh, but uh, any of those guys? I, I, yeah. I, I think Jason Adamolo has a chance. I mean, he's probably more of a you know fifth to seventh round type of guy. It's just – it's really going to be dependent on the team meetings leading up to the draft and what he does at the combine. Like those, I mean, at the pro day, like those things are going to matter a ton. I think he has a chance to, I mean, cause Jason's a good kid, man. Like he's got a good, per, he's got a really good personality. I think he has a chance to impress, but you know, it's really going to be dependent on what the rest of the process looks like for him. I think Tariq, I think, I mean, Tariq's definitely going to be in a camp. Like I have no doubt about that. He's going to be a priority free agent. He's going to be a guy that's going to get a nice little signing bonus the day after a draft. I just don't think he gets drafted just because the, Look, he's a little bit limited as far as like he's a slot only at the next level, right? Like he's right. not going to play safety. He's not going to play corner. Like he's going to be a slot, which is fine in today's game. Like that matters, obviously. But I think that the size is going to be a question mark for some people. And then even more than anything, it's going to be the medicals. Like you need to see what that looks like, you know, because I think regardless of what the medical look like, I, I think that he's going to get a chance. It's just like, you know, what is the signing bonus after the draft, you know, comparative to what it could be potentially – is it more of a flyer pick or are you just kind of looking at him as, you know, just a kind of taking a chance on a kid that doesn't have great medical. So I think he'll be in a camp. Josh Lug will definitely be in a camp. There's no doubt. Like, I don't know if he's a priority versus a, a undrafted free agent. Like there's a little bit of a hierarchy as far as guys that get signed initially and all that type of stuff. But again, he's a guy that started multiple years at Notre Dame, started at right tackle, started inside a guard. Those guys matter, and they'll be in a camp. They'll take a long look at him. Do I, does he stick? That's a question mark. I don't know. I mean, again, he's another guy that has some medical concerns. He's got short arms. Like, there's some things that are going to hurt Josh Luck. But I think that he'll get a long look in a camp. I have no idea what's going to happen with Justin Adamalola, though. I have no idea. I mean, he's a guy that I don't think has incredible traits. I mean, I think he's going to measure in at, like, six foot one or so. I think he's got shorter arms. He's not going to be a great athlete at the pro day, most likely. Like, I think he'll be fine. But he just doesn't have a ton of production, man. So, like, if you don't have a ton of production, it's fine if you're a really gifted athlete. I just don't think Justin's that guy. Like, Justin's a glue guy, which, you know, could he get brought in as a, as a camp invite and see if he can work his way up to a practice squad and then maybe an active roster eventually? It's always possible. But I, I think that, for me, he's a little bit of a question mark right now just because I just haven't heard any buzz on him. I haven't heard any interest much in him. Like, there's just, I think there are some limitations in his game, unfortunately. Well, I think you brought up a good point, at least going with, with Tariq Bracey. I mean, you see a lot of guys that are good NFL slot guys that don't get drafted. Bryce Callahan yep. comes to mind. Uh, who's the guy with the Colts? Who's a, Kenny Moore. Kenny, Kenny Moore. Moore. Yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't drafted. So, I mean, the fact that Bracey is in that realm of a guy that is a slot only, I don't know if he'll ever be Bryce Callahan or, or Kenny Moore. Um, but I am pretty high on him. And I think, you know, that just based off of what I've, how I've kind of talked about him um, during this show, but um, I have a few fan questions for you, if that's all right. And uh, sure. we'll get, we'll get into some of those here in a second. Give me one, one moment here. All right. And like I said, I have that uh, just one fan question. Unfortunately, I was hoping for a little bit more, but uh, Mason, I don't think did a great job at getting those out. So we'll blame him for it. <laughs> just kidding. I'm hoping he, hopefully he listens to it and gets mad. Um, <laughs> here it is. Let's see. So it's from our, my, my a good friend, Rob Schwartz. Um, he runs uh, the fan sided page for, uh, for, for the bears. And, and I think he's actually a big Notre Dame fan as well, but he goes, regardless of position, which ND prospect is drafted first, how many cracked the first round? And he goes, I think I know who, who I would put in that spot, but I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Yeah, it, it's Michael Mayer pretty convincingly for me. I mean, look, there's going to be a conversation whether he's the first tight end or second tight end, and we'll have that, you know, aimless conversation for the next for the next month and a half here. But I would be shocked, and I use that word shocked very lightly, but I would be shocked if he gets out of the first round. Like, I just I just would. I, I think Michael Mayer is a clear first-round type of football player. Isaiah Foskey is the other guy that could sneak into the first round, but probably more of an early-ish second-round type of pick. So I'll say one Notre Dame player with the possibility of two, but it's definitely Michael Mayer first off the board regardless. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm with you. I, I really hope the mayor doesn't get that treatment. So I, I'm, I, I think I put out a tweet the other day that said like, I'm already convinced he's going to fall to the second. And it was more just kind of half joking, 
Uh, but at the same yeah. time, like, I feel like some good Notre Dame prospects have been burned. I mean, even, I think even Kyle Hamilton going 14th was sort of disrespectful in a sense. Um, yes. And we, we know how some other guys have been pushed down. I mean, Jeremiah Wustikormo, I don't know how, how factual the heart issue was coming out of the combine and all that kind of stuff, but I know he said it was false, but then again, those guys are also trying to make money. So who knows? Um, but he's been a productive player in the NFL so far with the Browns. So I think hindsight is 2020 with, with both of those guys. And I hope the NFL doesn't view it that way when it comes to Michael Mayer. Um, but I'm with you. I, I, I actually think Foskey's probably going to go second round. Um, I, I, at this point, I'd be pretty shocked if he went first round. And this is just based off of me listening to guys like Brugler and, Daniel mm-hmm. Jeremiah and a couple other guys that I really respect, including yourself. Who I don't, I mean, I think deep down you probably feel, feel that as well, but, but then again, those, those measurables and the way he produced at the combine, we know how people fall in love with that. So could the chiefs take him with the last pick in the first round? Wouldn't be surprising to me. So, um, but I, I think ultimately I agree with what you said. Mayor's going to be the, the first guy and it'll probably be pretty convincingly in terms of where he's picked versus where Foskey's picked. Um, and then Foskey will be second round. And then I think everybody else is going to be down the draft board after that. And I know we touched on this a little bit um, before we, before we got to the one fan question, but where do you sort of see this class falling when it comes to how many guys are drafted and then how many maybe guys end up in NFL camps? Well, I, I think three get drafted for sure. Obviously with mayor Foskey, Jared Patterson, then I think that, I mean, if I was sending over, for people I would say three and a half is probably the spot I would go because it's like okay. Brandon Joseph possibly Jason Amalola possibly so like three and a half seems like a pretty sound number as far as like a betting over under because I mean I would want to hit the over on that but like it's going to be close man like it really is so I think you have three definites two possibles and then after that I still think Josh Lug Josh Lug and Tariq Bracey will definitely be in a camp. So, I mean, guys that will be in a camp for sure are Michael Mayer, Isaiah Foskey, Brandon Joseph, Jared Patterson, Jason Adamalola, Tariq Bracey, and Josh Lugg. So, I think you got seven guys for sure. And then Justin Adamalola is a chance at eight, but I think the number seven. Do you think there's anything that any of those guys can do at Notre Dame's Pro Day? that maybe changes your mind in that regard. Like if Bracey comes out and runs like a sub four, four, for example, hypothetically speaking, I don't think that's what's going to happen. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, I, I don't, Josh Lugg's medicals are just kind of funky. So I, I doubt there's anything he can really do. I mean, I guess if he came out and, you know, obviously we know he's tall, we know he's big. So that obviously will, will play a factor. Uh, NFL, the NFL will love his height and different things like that. But um not sure there's much he could do unless he puts up like 40 reps on the bench and runs like a sub five or something like that, where he shows some athleticism that maybe we haven't seen on film or whatever, but, um, or athleticism and strength. Cause I think that's probably his biggest knock is like for a big guy, the, the, the strength issue for him, at least from my perspective, like maybe he wasn't always yeah. there. Um, but I, I guess, so is there anything that any of these guys can do maybe that you would say, okay, that, that over three and a half is like definitely going to hit. So tough. I mean, if Jason Amalola has a big show, I think that that could change my opinion a little bit because I, I think that, again, man, like he's very talented. I don't think many people question it, but seeing it firsthand, if you're a scout, like if he goes there and he's, you know, six, three and a half and or six, three and some change, I don't think he's quite a half and 285 pounds and he runs like four, eight something. It's like, oh, all right. That, that's interesting. Right. So I think he could change my perspective on how many guys are drafted a little bit if he's okay. able to kind of just showcase the athleticism firsthand. But I think the overall number, like I was hesitant on like Justin Adamalola, for instance, as far as like being in a camp. If Justin Adamalola has a show in where you see a little bit more athleticism than I personally think he has, then it's like if I'm an evaluator, it's like as a priority for agents, like come here, Justin, like I'm not, I'm not even thinking about it at that point. Right. So he could change the ultimate number of guys in the camp, but I think Jason's the guy, the one wild card as far as like, if he tests really well and he showcases his talent on the field, I feel that some people might, you know, start to think that that's a definite opportunity to get drafted. Gotcha. Yeah. I was thinking with both of those guys, cause they're sort of both undersized in a sense. I mean, Justin Amalo from an edge perspective, I mean, he, there's a possibility he's under six two, at least from what I've heard. Um, and with uh, he's, Jason, def- he's, de- he's definitely going to be under six two. He's definitely going to be under six two. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if he yeah. somehow is over six two, that's obviously a win in a sense. And yeah. 
in Jason's case, I didn't actually know what he measured in at, um, at the, at the showcase he was at, but to hear that he's over six, three, I think it's kind of a, a win for him. Cause I think some people thought he was going to be sub sub six, three, at least like maybe six, two and a half. So the fact that maybe he has a little bit more length, um, or height, at least than, than I at least expected. And, you know, who knows, maybe he, maybe he put on another five pounds and comes in at like two ninety or something like that. I mean, and then, like you said, he runs a four eight, and he's like six three and a half, two ninety. Then that's obviously, a, I think, a pretty big win for him. But um, wanted to touch on some twenty. I know we did this last year too. I had you kind of preview a little bit of what the twenty twenty three class looked like. Like you said earlier, I mean, there was some. We thought Cam Hart was going to come out. We thought maybe some other guys would would end up being players, and you know, and ultimately maybe leave Notre Dame earlier or something like that. I mean. I think some people thought with a really, really strong season, Maris Leofau could have came out this past year, even though he had the injury. You know, I think at least going, maybe not you, but I know there were people out there that thought there was some like athletic, like some high level athleticism that him definitely didn't show this season um, coming off, coming off of the injury. And, you know, maybe after another year, he can, he can get it done. But just looking at it very early, I know you said you're working on an article as well, but just very early 2024 prospects. How do you kind of feel about the class? And then, you know, where, maybe where are the, the best guys at in that regard? I think it, I think it's going to surprise a lot of people, man. Like, I really do. I mean, there's some guys I was kind of going through a list. I'm like, that guy's interesting. Like, there's a lot of interesting football players, and they're sure. interesting because they're – like I think a couple of them are going to be pretty high-level athletes as far as, like, their projection to the next level. You know, like, the depth this year has become – the Josh Lugs of the world, right? Where it's just like Josh is just kind of, you know, who he is type of thing. But like when you look at what 2024 could be, like the depth in the class for Notre Dame could be like some like very intriguing potential rises as far as from an athleticism perspective. I mean, I think the class all starts with Joe Walt at this point, right? It's like he's going to be a third year junior. He's going to be a two and a half year starter. He's going to be, he's going to have all that, those intangible things that people talk about, right? I mean, they're going to say, you know, he's a multi-year starter at Notre Dame, almost a three-year starter at Notre Dame. His dad played in the NFL for 13 years and made two Pro Bowls at offensive tackle, right? Like, he has all those attributes. He was under Harry Heastan for a year. And then also, by the way, you know, he's almost 6'8 and 317 pounds and has long arms and is a good athlete and just came off of a, you know, All-American season, like almost consensus All-American. I mean, he was fantastic this year. So when you look at like blindside protectors, that's Joe Walt, man. And if if Joe Walt is as good an athlete as I think he is, he's going to be a top 10 pick next year. If he if he just maintains – if he has the same season that he had in 2022 and 2023, he's going to be a top 10 pick. If he takes a step forward – we might be talking about him being a top five type of kid. Like it's possible, man. He has that type of upside and it's pretty wild to think that you can make an argument that despite him being that good, the most talented offensive tackle might be at right tackle and Blake Fisher, right? Like it might be the most talented player. And, you know, Blake was inconsistent this year, especially early on in the season, but down the stretch last five or six games, man, he was really good. He really was. I mean, he's six, six, 327 pounds, he looks the parts. He's physical. He's got that explosive power. If he takes a step forward from a technical perspective, he's going to be a guy that we're going to talk about a ton. I mean, I've already had NFL scouts ask me about Blake Fisher. Like, who the heck is 54, man? Like, that is a massive kid. So I think he has a chance to be very special at the next level. You mentioned Cam Hart. I mean, Cam Hart is going to be in a similar situation of – you have to answer the question about medicals. You have to answer it. I mean, he's had a bunch of medicals. He's had a couple of shoulder stuff too now. It's just like, that's not great usually, but he's a kid that, I mean, we, I have official measurements on him from last spring and he was six, two and five eighths. So almost six foot three, 198 pounds. And he had 32 and a half inch arms, man. Like that is, that's how you draw up an NFL corner. And I think that Cam's going to test pretty well unless they the athleticism list, gets zapped right? a little bit. Yeah, man. I mean, he's a really nice athlete. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he runs like four, four, seven at six, two and a, like six, two and five A's. Like, he's going to test well, in my opinion. So, if the medicals check out, Cam Hart's going to be a, a player that I know NFL teams are going to like. I mean, they liked him this past spring, as far as like coming into the season. So, I think he's a player that they're going to like. And then after that, it's like there's a lot of wild cards in the defensive side of the football, which is fun. You know, like Riley Mills is a guy that if he takes a step forward. I mean, there aren't too many guys as flexible as him at six foot five and a half and 300 pounds. Like he's probably going to run a stupid three cone at the combine for an interior defensive lineman. And I think he's going to turn some heads. I mean, I know you've probably seen some like the workout pictures of him, man. Like that kid is a freak show as far as like athletically. 
So now that he's playing more of an interior position going into 2023, I think he's going to take a nice jump as a player. The ultimate wild card, and I asked Isaiah Foskey this at the combine, like who's the who's the guy that's going to be the you know bright, the bright star, the breakout star, and he said Jordan Batello. Like that was his answer, man. He's like, and Jordan Batello quietly, despite not having a ton of reps this year, he had four and a half sacks, man. Like he was a productive pass rusher, second on the team in sacks, and I think if he takes a step forward, and maybe he starts at Viper and he has the production that he's capable of, NFL teams are going to be like, man. That kid just had 6'2", 250 pounds, has played Viper, he's played linebacker, he's played Rover. It's like, that's an interesting profile, man. Right. So it, he, I think he could be a breakout star. And then the running backs are like another conversation for me that's like really exciting. You know, I mean, they're both going to – both Audrick Estime and Logan Diggs are going to be third-year players, which means they're going to be draft eligible. And running backs, if you're going to get drafted – I always tell running backs to leave early, man. Always. Like if you if you start that clock early because your shelf life is not long in the NFL. Audric and both players, estimate and Diggs are guys that I've had scouts literally ask me about already. They're like, who's seven? Who's three? Like those guys look very good on film. And estimates, you know, a 227 pound hammer, right? Like he's that dude, but he's also got better quickness than people think, man. Like he can make guys miss in the hole. Logan Diggs has more of that all-around profile, you know, 214 pounds. He can catch out of the backfield a little bit. He's got a little more juice than what Audric has as far as, you know, ability to change direction, all that great stuff. So both those players, I think, are potentially draftable next year. Interesting. And then you have Chris Tyree. If, you know, again, I didn't like how Chris Tyree was used by Notre Dame this past year, but if he gets a combine invite next year, my guy is going to run at 190-something pounds, 4-3-something in the 40. Like, he's going to do that, right? So you get excited about the running backs. Defense, I think there's a lot of potential there. But it all starts with those offensive tackles, man. If Blake Fisher takes a step forward and Joe Walt just improves slightly, we're talking about two potential top 50 picks, I think, in my, in my opinion. I'm glad you brought up the running backs because I think me personally, I'm as high on Logan Diggs as anybody. Um, like, I, I don't know what his exact measurables are, but I know he, he kind of, I mean, again, as a bears fan, he kind of reminds me of Matt Forte. He, he, he can catch out of the backfield. I don't know if he's as big. I think Forte was like six two, two twenty at the combine or whatever it was when he came out. But I think Diggs is similar where he's going to be over six foot. He's probably going to be two, five, two ten or two Oh five, two ten, whatever it may be. And I think he's a, think he's a really good player. Um, I, I I was on record saying he was the best the best running back at Notre Dame this year. I think, like you said, he's just a better all around player than Tyree and and Estime are. But then again, I mean, Estime kind of has that Eddie Laciness to him, where it's like he's coming at you and it's a bulldozer. Now I don't think he's maybe as talented as Lacy was coming out of Alabama. Um, probably not as big as Lacy was either. I mean, I, even though he's he's yoked up, I'm mean, like you said, two twenty seven. I mean, that's I wouldn't want him to get much bigger than that, considering already how how big he looks at that size. So I'm glad you mentioned those guys. Um, one other guy I was going to mention to you was just be, just because of the profile coming out of high school, the fact that I think he improved a lot this past year on the offensive line, but Zeke Carell. I know he's a little undersized, yeah. but I, I kind of compare him to a guy like Luke, uh, Luke Whipler coming out of uh, Ohio State. I mean, he's going to come in at maybe like 6'3 ish a little over 300 pounds and that's kind of what Whipler did, but Whipler had a pretty good combine when it came to the athleticism and different things like that. Do you see him as a guy that could really improve his draft stock ne next year? If he has a really another solid season. I mean, he could, because the, the interesting thing about Carell is that Carell obviously was bad in 2021 and playing guard, right? Like we, we, right. We've, we've, said, we've talked about that a ton, you know, on Notre Dame channels. Right. But he really, after a couple of rough games to start 2022, I, he really settled in, man. He was a good player down the stretch. Like, he had a good season. I think it really is dependent on taking a next step, right? Like, if he takes the next step, I think that Zeke Carell is going to check off the boxes that you need to play center at the next level. Because, like, yeah, he's undersized. But, like, for a center, it's not, like, detrimental, you know? And I think that sure. he's actually a better athlete than I think some people give him credit for. I think it really is dependent on, like, you need to take a step up, though, right? Like, you can't just be a good player at Notre Dame. You need to be a very good player at Notre Dame, and then you'll get those looks. But regardless, Zeke Carell is going to be a multi-year starter at Notre Dame. He'll get a look at the NFL. There's no doubt. Sure. Whether he's a – 
it, whether he becomes a legitimate prospect, though, I think is dependent on him taking a jump, you know, in 2023. Because I still think there's a lot of room for Zeke to improve. Because I, I, I don't think he's hit a ceiling, which is exciting because I think he can be that type of guy. Yeah, and then you hope that not losing, like losing the guards this year and Lug and and Patterson, obviously yeah. next to him. You know, you hope that he that that, that will help him take hopefully the next step because he needs to be a better leader. Um, you know, different things like that. And sometimes when you lose those guys next to you, it becomes a, an issue, but sometimes it can be, it can essentially make you realize that you need to, to be that better player and you kind of elevate your game that way. So I'm excited to see him because I um, was interested. He, he's kind of a polarizing prospect for me when it comes to a guy that could, with a really solid season, could end up being a Luke Whipler type where he's a day two, day three player, at least in my opinion. And then, or he could go undrafted and maybe not even play in the NFL. Like I just said, I think there's a big, there's a big uh, discrepancy there. Unlike guys like Joe Alt and Blake Fisher, because of how physically gifted they are, even with like yeah. a Joe Alt down season, quote unquote, you know, he's going to be a, a top pick in the draft just simply off his measurables and his and, and different things like that. But um, real quick, before I let you go, uh, you, t- you talked about Cam Hart, you talked about Riley Mills. Both of those guys made the Bruce Feldman's freak list. Um, I don't know how plugged in you are when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like if, if, if he's contacting you about guys that are going to be on the freaks list and stuff like that. Cause I know that's kind of what he does. He contacts guys at Notre Dame and other schools. Um, first of all, I think Cam Hart could end up being like that Kevin Austin, Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool type at the combine. Like you were mentioning, like we're just like, we kind of know that they're really good athletes, but it's nice to see it at that, at that spot. And then they end up, you know, I guess in Kevin Austin's case, he didn't get, end up getting drafted, but Boinkin probably became a third round pick because of his combine simply because he showed that he is not only big, but also a freak when it comes to just his athletic profile. And then Claypool, I think is a guy that, you know, obviously had a lot more production than some of those guys. But, you know, when he turned it on at the NFL Combine, you know, going, going you know, mid-second round, I think that kind of solidified stock. I can see that with Cam Hart. I can see it with Riley Mills, like you said, because I think he's going to be a guy that tests really well at his size. Is there anybody that we're not talking about, even if it's not a guy that's necessarily draft eligible next year, per se, that do you think could – It's a, there's always a surprise on the freaks list, I feel like. Do you think there's a guy at Notre Dame that you've been sort of hearing about that might end up on that list or could be? Yeah, not as not as pertinent to the list because that's more like to Bruce contacts more of like the strength departments of like college football and such. But I would say this, like Jordan Patello is a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if he's on that type of list or at least he's a combine warrior when he ends up coming out, man. Like I I just think that 6'2", 250 pounds, right? Like he's a bigger bodied kid. The ability that he has to use the speed off the edge, the flexibility he has to be able to work in space as a rover like that type of stuff's rare so like I think he is a kid that's going to test phenomenally well whether it is at Notre Dame now or it is you know when he comes out for the NFL draft like I think that he has that type of upside you mentioned Benjamin Morrison I wouldn't be surprised if he's putting up some weird numbers this year and man there's a couple of these early enrollees I mean they're not going to be on the freaks list because they're just true freshmen but like I guarantee Braylon James is on a freaks list at some point oh, in yeah. his career. <laughs> like I guarantee it, man. Cause I mean, he in high school was, there was a, there was a combine in high school where he had a 38 plus inch vert. He had a 10 plus foot broad jump. He had a four, four something in the 40. Like that kid's going to be on a freaks list eventually. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like maybe not the 2023 version of the freaks list, but like Braylon James at some point in his career, he's going to be on a freaks list. And, and, and if we're talking about, maybe a different types of freaks list. Jordan Batello would probably for sure make that one just because of how he, how he plays on the field and different things like that. But I was going to compare him to, to Nolan Smith in a sense because of the size profile, but I think he's actually bigger. Like you said, he's like he a bigger. 250. And um, I mean, I, I don't know if you know this, but Jordan Batello was my number one ranked player in the Notre Dame class a few years ago. Um, I tend to go for those like freaky guys. So like, just to kind of give you an idea, Jordan Batello was a number one ranked guy for me. Aiden Gobira was a number one ranked guy for me uh, two years ago now. And this year I actually had Braylon James because I'm all about, at least from an, uh, a high school to college standpoint, especially at a school like Notre Dame where I feel like they're going to develop guys overall. Those guys are the ones that stick out to me. And um, yeah. each one of those guys was my number one ranked player in their respective classes. So from that perspective, I hope that they do really well, <laughs> do really well, yes. and, and make me look better. But, uh, but Ryan, thanks for thanks for coming on, man. Uh, any closing thoughts or anything like that, real quick? 
No, man, I just appreciate you as always for having me on. This is a uh, this is my favorite time of the year now that we're kind of past the combine portion. It's just about pro days. It's about team meetings from like the NFL draft sense. And then obviously, you know, the recruiting side of things is going to be picking up now that we're out of the dead period and back into the quiet period where a lot of kids are going to be on campus. I mean, we just had two guys on campus this past weekend for Notre Dame, right, right. as far as visitors for the 2024 class. So it's going to be busy, man. It's going to be fun, though. And But this is kind of just clear sailing till the end of April, which is always fun. Awesome. Awesome. And obviously they can find you uh, guys definitely follow his work at irishbreakdown.com. He does a great job there from a recruiting standpoint, but that whole staff over there does a really good job when it comes to, you know, breaking news, making sure the news is accurate before they release it, different things like that. Obviously follow him at riseanddraft.com if you're not already, because you're going to get not only his Notre Dame content, but you're going to get his draft content as well. So again, Ryan, thanks for, thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Go Irish. The Golden Homers are a proud sponsor of Homes for Troops, a publicly funded 501c3 nonprofit organization that builds and donates specially adapted custom homes nationwide for severely injured post-9-11 veterans. Since its inception in 2004, nearly 90 cents out of every dollar spent has gone directly to our program services for veterans. Visit at hfotusa.org. Thank you.